Hi, and welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 21, Exploring Technology, Art, and Design with YouTuber Brad Colbo. So I'd like to first uh, thank you once again for your continued support. I keep getting uh, such positive email and messages about the show, and I'm so happy that you are learning as I am through this process and are finding it helpful in what you're trying to do. I've also heard from a few of you that you actually listen to the podcast while you're drawing or painting, which is really cool. So if you're doing that right now, keep going. (laughs) That's great. The show was a bit long, so I'm going to keep this as short as possible, but so I'm just going to talk about a few things that have happened since the last podcast. So one of the first things I, uh, I've done since the last podcast is I actually went and visited a museum. I went uh, by myself. I've been to this museum numerous times, but I went with the intent to actually sketch. And so I brought my, uh, my satchel and uh, a uh, sketch pad and some pencils, and I walked around the museum and did some sketching. It was, a, it was a good experience. I think that I chose probably the busiest time to go. And so I only stayed for about an hour, an hour and a half. I'm probably going to go back and do a bit more of an intensive uh, kind of drawing session. So the museum doesn't allow you to bring in any kind of paints. So I just had pencils. I think next time I will bring ink. And I think that uh, I'll probably spend a little bit more time. I was in the dinosaur area because that's just cool. So I spent some time sketching some skeletons. And then they have a separate area that is around uh, some of the animals that are found uh, specifically in Canada. And uh, I also spent some time in the bird section. So I think that I'll, um, I'm going to go maybe for a half day next time and devote a little bit more time to sketches, uh, and I'll post a link to them. They're really quick. I wasn't really intent on spending a lot of time. I was standing for most of it, and I was just interested in just playing around and getting some of those textures and, and looking at things differently. It is, I mean, I've been to this museum so many times, and it, it was really weird kind of looking at it differently, right? Looking at it as uh, as an artist, looking at the, especially the, the dinosaur um, exhibit, and looking at it with uh, these eyes that are trying to understand how the bones interacted and how they moved, and, and thinking about where the movement would be. And, you know, while I sketched what I saw, I, I did really put a bit more thought into what I was looking at, and uh, I enjoyed it. So I think I'm going to go back, maybe in a few weeks, uh, maybe take a day off work and doing it during the week when it may be less busy, and uh, spend a bit more time there. So I would encourage you to do the same if you've got a museum nearby. It uh, is an interesting kind of way to spend uh, a few hours, whether it's during the week or on a weekend, or an evening, or whatever the case may be. So uh, I, I'm going to do that again. I, I thought that was great fun. I finished a, a couple more drawings as well, a couple more uh, studies. I did a flycatcher, uh, which was probably about an hour and a half, two hours of work, and then I worked on a bald eagle. The flycatcher was my own photo. The bald eagle was uh, someone else's photo. I had added the water to the bald eagle because I wanted to give the impression. So this is a bald eagle that's kind of taking flight with a fish in its claws and or its talons. And I wanted to show that that uh, fish just left the water, so I added that in the background. I used a couple of photos for the bald eagle because the main one wasn't really covering everything I wanted, so I used a secondary one. And it's one of these opportunities where you take a few reference photos, and uh, I had permission to use these, so I, I try to be very careful with all of that. I try to use my own 
photos where possible, but when I can't, I do uh, ensure that I've got permission to use them. And once again, this was just a study. I think I may do a larger piece, specifically the bald eagle. I think I may do one twice the size, so somewhere around you know, 8 by 10, 11 by 14. See if I can get more detail. The photo is not great, but I think I can uh, work with a few additional reference photos. And I think that would be a really nice piece to do at that size. So I think I'm going to pursue that in the next few weeks as, um, as a larger piece. I think a lot of my work, um, I, you know, I've been doing these small kind of sketches and studies because it's just convenient for me to have in the book. I think I'm going to start a few larger pieces on my uh, drawing table. And so I'm looking forward to that. I think that uh, I have some other studies that I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks. And uh, as I typically do, I will post it to Instagram. I think I'm going to do some uh, a video of one of them. There's one I'm thinking of doing that I think would be kind of a uh, an informative little uh, video. And I don't know where I'll post that yet, whether it's uh, Instagram or uh, YouTube. But I will be uh, sharing that video of, of me working on one of those pieces. And so the last update is uh, we have the National Art Gallery here. I'm located in Ottawa, Canada. And the National Art Gallery has these workshops. They do, I guess, every month. I didn't know about this until recently. And a local artist, uh, Emil, who's a, uh, and, uh, who does ink work, and I'll include a link to his uh, Instagram, is, uh, so he did a session, and there was actually two sessions. They were the same one, but the whole intent was you go, and uh, there was paper, and we had ink that was supplied, as well as uh, fountain pens, but they were dip pens. And he kind of talked through his process. He showed some examples of his work and how he works as a matter of cross-hatching and things like that. And then we had an opportunity to kind of just draw for a while. It was about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes of actual drawing. And while it was very short, it was kind of fun. There was a bunch of people I did not know. Uh, it was quite well attended. Uh, he did a fantastic job covering his materials. And I thought the, uh, the National Art Gallery was an excellent uh, venue, but everyone there seemed uh, very excited about this activity, this event, and uh, very attentive to all the guests. And it was, you know, informal, but it was now kind of the large atrium area. I'm not sure they probably have a formal name for it, but it was uh, a beautiful area to sit and just draw. And uh, I think I'm going to try some of the other ones they have coming up. I'll have to see what the, the content is. This was to promote the uh, Monsters and Ink exhibit they have going on now at the National Gallery. So uh, it was quite late in the evening. I didn't get a chance to tour the whole uh, art gallery. But once again, uh, I am going to target that in the next week or two and head back on a weekend and do a proper tour of uh, the gallery. I haven't been there in a little while, and I wanted to kind of devote a few hours to it. So I plan on doing that. So that's about it for updates. I think um, before we get into the interview, I will mention that we went a bit long, but I thought, you know, we covered so much, and it was such a great conversation that uh, I left a lot of that in, and think you will find it interesting to, to listen to. We focused, uh, obviously, heavily on technology and apps as well as art and design, but I'm sure that even if you don't have technology to do your art, you're going to find this conversation interesting. So please stay tuned and enjoy the interview. Uh, we had a great time, and I think you're going to learn uh, quite a bit about uh, technology and YouTube and creative design. So, uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Now, let's head into the interview. I picked up my current iPad Pro in the fall of 2018 and immediately went to YouTube to see what people were doing with this new technology, and in so doing, I found the channel of my guest this week. He has created a name for himself online at the intersection of art, design, and technology. He has amassed a huge following on YouTube that join him on a regular basis, 
in the exploration of digital technology as it relates to art and graphic design. His style is unmistakable, and his video production is top-notch. To talk tech, animation, art, and design, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Brad Colbo. Brad, how are hey, you? Hey, good. You make me sound awesome. That sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. When you buy anything, you immediately go to YouTube, and it's like, how does it work, or how do I make it better? And uh, that's where I found you. And then I went through your back catalog, and I've been following you probably ever since, I think. And mm -hmm. I really enjoy watching your videos, because I do learn a lot about design and and art as it relates to technology, but learning about new devices and that kind of stuff. And I think that you do a really good job in kind of pulling it all back home and making it fun and interesting. And I think your angle on things is, is great. So I, I do enjoy that. Well, I enjoy making them. Uh, it's, it's kind of a funny place to be because I didn't really start out to be a YouTuber or even an illustrator. I was a, I was a designer and uh, like a web designer and I kind of fell backwards into the video thing and it was a hobby and it was something I just kind of enjoyed doing. It was a creative outlet. And, uh, and here I am four, five years, almost later, four and a half years later. And now it's my job. It's, it's kind of cool. So did you, if we go back way back in time when you were young yeah. is is art something that you were compelled to do or interested in or because um, i i started i i did web design for years as well but i i'd like to know your journey like when do you remember being interested in design or art oh from since i was a kid i think for me it was always like when i was really little like elementary school i wanted i was writing my own stories and then i wanted to draw those stories like picture books or i i'd envision the characters or I was huge into comic strips when I was a kid. Calvin and Hobbes was was a big one for me. Uh, that Bloom County. Later on, I got into like Peanuts, and I started to appreciate that. And then into and then that was a gateway drug into comic books. And I was drawing comic book characters, not very well. So I from from like an early age, I remember drawing a lot. Um, that was always a, a getaway, and it was always kind of in the context of telling a story too. I also drew a lot of video games. I went through a phase where I was trying <laughs> to create my own games on paper, but it was always like I was drawing in order to create a comic book. I was drawing in order to create a video game. I was drawing to create a thing and drawing was just the way to visually communicate like whatever thing I was working on as a kid. And then later on, I wanted to go to school and study art. And uh, this is like back in the mid nineties. And my parents were Back when parents could afford to, like, at least here in the States, pay to send their kids to college. And, you know, my parents were like, well, we, you know, we want to help you pay for your college education here, but we want you to do something practical, too. <laughs> and so for me, that became graphic design because it was like, well, in graphic design, you can take illustration courses and you can learn a practical skill that you can market. And it's not like being a fine artist where maybe you'll get an illustration gig or maybe you'll get, you know, maybe you can work your way into animation. So it just seemed very practical to go the design route. And so that was my background. And that's what I did for a living uh, for 15 whole years. Um, and as part of that graphic design and, and mostly web design, UX design, really, I would try to sneak illustrations into my work whenever I could, you know, like little icons here, a little animated header here. Back when I started, Flash was big, like in the early 2000s. And so that was cool because Flash is an animation program. Uh, so that was that was my that was kind of like my secret way of keeping illustration going in the background. But then it was only 
hobby, I kind of lost track of drawing for fun for a big stretch of time in my early career because it was like, well, you're starting a family and you're being an adult. There's no time for this kid's stuff. Yeah, it was only until later that I fell backwards into it again. When you were in graphic design, it was always digital or did you do any? Yeah. Well, when I first started the first year of the program, because this was like 96, 97, 98. So it was like this transition time in the world of graphic design where our first, I think it was the first like year and a half, we couldn't touch computers. So we were all, we were taking exacto knives and cutting squares and cutting out our headlines and pasting and then photocopying our layouts. And that was the process we took. So we were getting like books of type from the school library. And then you'd photocopy these pages of just typography at different sizes. So if you needed a headline that was 18 points, you had to find the page with like, okay, universe, 18 point font. Okay, photocopy these two pages. And that's your eight, that's your headline. Okay, now I need a subhead. Okay, bold, 12 point, you know. <laughs> and then you'd cut it out and you were literally piecing together, like you could get blocks of lorem ipsum and different column widths and stuff. But you were literally piecing together your headlines by cutting out manually, rubber cementing it to a piece of paper, photocopying that, and that was your finished product. And I remember my sophomore year, my typography class, they allowed us to set type using a computer. Like they said, you are now allowed to do that. And the upperclassmen were so mad because the typography class is tough because it's all just manually cutting with an exacto knife. Um, so, so the, the upperclassmen were mad because they're like, oh, it's not fair. Those kids get to use computers to do this. So I was there right at the intersection when school was kind of moving away from that hand cut stuff and into that new realm of using, at the time it was Atlas PageMaker, if you remember that. It was Macromedia Freehand. Okay. That was another one we used a lot of. Photoshop was around, of course. Yeah. So we were just getting started with computer stuff back then. That's <laughs> it just it's funny to hear it but I mean it wasn't that long ago but I guess it was right like uh Right right like it's over 20 years now that's crazy <laughs> it is crazy So you went through a, a degree in graphic design you yep. moved into the industry at that point Yep and were you uh freelancing do you remember your first uh, your first gig or your first job as to what you did well, I've, my first internship, so I majored in advertising and minored in graphic design, which are two pretty complementary skills. And I remember my first internship, advertising was more writing, and we learned about media sales. And it's funny now, looking back at it, because like 90% of that stuff was completely wiped out by the internet. Like the whole concept of media sales, like Google ads has replaced all of that. Facebook has replaced all of that. Um, but yeah, that, I when I did my internship... I remember I was, they hired me because they were like, oh, cool. We, he can learn how to write and we could use his design skills. And by the end of that summer, I was like, man, writing is, I did not enjoy the writing part and I loved the design and I was saving them a fortune because they didn't have to hire a freelancer to do all these little, I wasn't doing anything exciting. It was just like this little form needs laid out properly or this little thing, you know, and I, that was so much more fun to me. And the other designers they hired, they did not want to do forms, <laughs> you know. So I, I, during that internship, I realized once I got some, a little bit of work experience under my belt, it was like design is the way for me. And I had the minor and I had the passion 
And then when I got out of school a year later, um, that first job, I worked for a management consulting firm and I was designing PowerPoint documents where the consultants would literally fax. Um, this is like 2001. Uh, they would fax documents to you. And then you'd take these handwritten documents and you'd, you'd basically convert them to PowerPoint slides that they could show to their clients. Uh, and that was my very first real job in the field as a graphic designer. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't there for long. That was right back. Uh, it was, I was like fresh out of college. And then it was right before 9-11 happened and we got laid off um, because the dot-com bubble kind of burst right around then. And so like they were making layoffs and, and I remember I got laid off that summer and they said, uh, and everybody said, well, there's no jobs this summer, but it all in the fall, it'll all heat up and all these job opportunities will pop up and you'll see it in the newspaper because we use newspapers back then to find jobs. <laughs> and, and then, uh, 9-11 happened and it was like all the jobs in the newspaper the week before like they were like they were right there were like eight jobs in the newspaper for designers and the next week there were none and for the next 3 months it was like the economy just stopped and it was uh it did pick up after that and I ended up getting a job early that next year you know at a tiny little two man web design company and I was the third person in there but uh it it was kind of an interesting time and it, it, and I think because that particular recession wasn't that deep people kind of forget about it. But when it happens to you, when you lose your job mm -hmm. and you're just married and you are paying rent on an apartment for the first time and you're doing all that, um, you know, that, that hits you that this description is going in a place I didn't expect. This is kind of fun to talk about because I, you kind of forget about that stuff. Right. But I think when, when you do, when you kind of go through that and I went through that really early in my career, it really, when I did get that web design job, I would take any job in the world at that point because I was kind of desperate for work. But once I got that job, like I wanted to be good. Like I wanted like, no, I, I, once you go through that process of not being able to find work, you're like, I'm going to work so hard and make my work so good that I will, it will be hard for me not to be employed. You know what I mean? Like people are going to want me in there because I've improved so much. I think that's what really lit a fire under me early on and really pushed me on the, on that kind of design path. And then over the next, you know, however many years I kind of floated between, I went from that agency to another agency. And then from there, I ended up going freelance, um, met up with some local folks who were doing it. And I realized, oh, there's something here. You know, I could actually do this on my own. And I took a risk. It seemed like a huge risk at the time. In retrospect, it wasn't really a huge risk, <laughs> you know, uh, but at the time, I, I took the risk, left my job, started freelancing, and I've freelanced on and off since 2007. Yeah, the fall of 2007. Um, and in between, there was a point where one of my clients became a job, um, and then I joined. I kind of got burnt out. I joined an agency for about two and a half years. Uh, so yeah, it's I've had a lot of jobs. I've been in a lot of places <laughs> as a web designer. It's and especially as a freelancer, because as a freelancer, you are, and especially the last four or five years of me freelancing, I was like uh, uh, the token designer on teams of developers. So developers would be working on big software projects, and I would roll in for three or four months at a time. And oftentimes I was working on site with folks 
um, for part-time and then working off-site. So it was, it was an interesting experience. The last three or four years of freelancing before I started doing YouTube full-time, um, I was doing a lot of business stuff. You know, you, I was working in a lot of companies, and every time you start a job, it's kind of like starting a real job. You have to learn new coworkers. You have to learn. And then the contract ends, and then you go to the next thing, and you meet new coworkers, get to know people. And um, it's so far for like, on one hand, design is, tie, is, is tied to art, and we tie it to art in our heads. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's so much more businessy than anything I'm doing right now, <laughs> you know, it's a, corporate is probably a better word for it, you know, whereas now I, I sit at home and just create whatever pops into my head. It's a radically different world uh, than where I was just like two years ago. And I know a lot of people who were designers moving into web design, uh, because at the time, you know, when you wanted to build a website, who did you have available, right? It was it was easier to pull in a designer and then start to teach them basic HTML and 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 tables and how you have to cut up images and and all that kind of stuff and then minimize the images and dealing with transparent images and and animated gifs or gifs. Depending, I, I go with gif, but <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think it was probably easier to bring those people in who were already designers and teach them that than, than trying to bring in developers. Um, right. And teach them design yeah. and teach them color theory. And absolutely. Did you enjoy doing web design? I mean, obviously you did it for quite a long time and you got burnt out, but would you, would you do it again? Like, do yes, you think I would, yeah. I could have done that job for the rest of my life and been happy. <laughs> um, it, I, it was just kind of an opportunity thing. I might as well tell the YouTube story now because that's what we're building up to. So this is a great transition. <laughs> So I, I was at a job and it was for this telecommunications company and they built software that put phones on hold, (laughs) which sounds like, wait, there's a company that makes software that (laughs) candles like hold time and stuff. And it's like, it's a huge industry. Um, there's so many companies like that and I got to work for a bunch of them. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, and and uh, one of the clients was was Microsoft, and so they bought a Surface Pro to show how their software ran. This was like the first generation Surface Pro, um, how their software ran on this computer. And they were trying to impress Microsoft by showing, like, look, we can run it on tablets, and it's touch-friendly, and blah, blah, blah. Right. And a buddy of mine who was a developer there kept telling me, because for years, I kept saying, I want an iPad I can draw on, right? I wanted something portable, because tech in 2000 and whatever that was, 15, 2014, I think was the year. Tech at that time, it was like, well, you get a, a Wacom tablet, which I had, and that had to be, there was this big power brick and it was had these big bezels on it. So even though the screen was 12 inches, the device itself was like huge and you had to plug it in and everything. And I kept telling like anybody who would listen, like, man, one day I want to draw on an iPad, something that's thin that you can put in a bag and you just need to, and so I tried all these different styluses and none of them worked. They're all horrible. And um, so my buddy who was using the Surface Pro, which came with a pen, loaded Photoshop up on it and was fiddling with it and was like, Brad, Brad, this is great. You got to try this. And I was like, I've tried so. And he was a developer. So I'm like, what does he know? He's never drawn <laughs> right. a day in his life. <laughs> and so I ignored him for about a week. And then finally, one day at lunch, he's like, okay you need to draw on this. And I was like, okay, I'll play with it and I'll just see what it is. And I started drawing on it and I didn't realize at the time those original first two Surface Pros used Wacom's drivers. So not only was it like 
you could draw on it, but it was really, really good to draw on. And so I was like, holy cow, like, this is amazing. Like, and I, I handed it back to him after lunch and I said, I'm going to buy one of these after work. I can finally draw on the couch. I can finally bring it with me. I can do, because when you're working in people's offices, Mm -hmm. you can't do illustration work unless you bring all this stuff with you. And it just wasn't practical. And uh, so he, he said, don't buy one. The, the Surface Pro 3 is coming out in like a month. Just wait a couple weeks, get the new one. It's better. I was like, sweet, sounds good. That rolls around. It's like June. I go out the day of at lunchtime. I get my Surface Pro 3, my type cover, my pen. Uh, I think it came with a pen at the time. Now you got to buy it extra. And, and that weekend, I, I set it up, and I got it rolling, and I was drawing on it. And I was like, this is great. And so as a freelancer, the one thing you learn is that um, when people go to hire you, they read everything you've ever done. So if you have a blog, and you, you should have a blog if you're a freelancer, and talk about the things you've learned, because clients read that, and they respond to it. And when you talk to someone on the phone, that's like the difference in getting hired or not hired. And so I kind of learned that through trial and error as a freelancer, that every time you experience something, you should just share it on a blog type thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I did. I, I was writing up a blog post and I was also fiddling with video around that time just because Adobe had shifted from sell all their software in a box every year and a half to the subscription model. And so all of a sudden I had Premiere Pro for the first time in my life and After Effects and all that. So I was just dabbling in video. So I, I turn on my laptop camera thing. And I just record myself talking to my laptop and then I take it to Premiere Pro and I cut it up. And that was my very first review. My very first tech review was of the Surface Pro 3. I threw it on YouTube. I put up this blog post that I had written and then I put up the like little sample review video that I did kind of in the middle of the blog post. So if people wanted to see me actually using it, they could. And then I went about my life. I posted it on Twitter. A handful of people said, that's cool. Wow, thanks for sharing. I answered some questions, had some good conversation. Within a day or two, I'd completely forgotten about it. I went on with my life. And like a week later, I clicked onto YouTube through some video through Facebook or Twitter or something. And I see this little notification thing in the corner and it said nine plus. I was like, oh, I got notifications. And I clicked it and it was like, like my inbox was like, stacked and i was like what happened and i clicked through to the video and there's tens of thousands of views on that video wow. uh, that surface pro 3 review and i thought oh my gosh and i, I had it just never had occurred to me um two Ill- artists had reviewed the surface pro 3 um it was me and uh a, a, there's a comic strip called penny arcade and they used to be really popular they're still doing it but they're kind of lesser known today and they had written a review and I had done my video review and I just, I racked up the views. And over the next couple months, that video got 100,000 views, 200,000 views, 300,000 views. And, and again, I was kind of hanging out in tech circles and with my friends who were developers and they worked at startups. And one of my buddies ran a company, was trying to do the whole get investment money, run a startup thing. And, and when you... When you make a startup and you get investment money, what you're looking for in the early going is not so much to make a profit, but to show some traction to get some customers so that you can earn or so you can get more investment to build your company. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea is they give you a little bit of money. You show them that there's traction to your idea. Then they give you a lot of money. 
and then you spend all the money and go out of business. Like that's the startup life cycle. (laughs) And so I, uh, so I'm talking to him and he, he was pounding the table at lunch. He was like, that's traction. Hundreds of thousands of views is traction. Like I know people who are fighting to get like a hundred people to use their app and you got hundreds of thousands of views that in, and he was like, you need to keep doing that. So I did, I started like, I did a follow-up to that video. Didn't do nearly as well, but it got a couple thousand views. Um, I had a whole drawer full of iPad styluses that didn't work, so I reviewed those. And then I started reviewing like apps for the Surface Pro, and I started reviewing uh, things on the iPad. Like, oh, what apps can you draw with on the iPad? Because there was only a handful at the time. And the channel kind of and I tried some other things that didn't work that would get like 12 views and if I covered any kind of art technology I'd get a couple hundred views and if I covered anything else I'd get like 12 views and so I just kind of did that on and off like every couple weeks or every month or two and it was just kind of a hobby and it was kind of fun and I didn't think much about it it was just like kind of cool every so often a video would do well mm-hmm. and then Apple announced the the app, the iPad Pro with the Apple Pencil. Right. And it was like a week or two after the Surface Pro 4 was announced. And I already knew, everybody was asking me, are you going to review the Surface Pro 4? And I was like, yeah, why not? So I, I picked one up. And and then when the iPad dropped, I picked that up. And both of those reviews just... And, and also the other thing that happened with the iPad Pro is that all of a sudden you had all these people who cared about this device saying, what apps are out there? what can I draw in? How can I use it? And I was the only person really making videos about the apps available for the iPad in those first mm-hmm. couple weeks and months that it was available. It was dumb luck, you know, right place, right time. Because I said to some guy at lunch, yes, I'll draw on your stupid surface. All of a sudden, <laughs> here I am a year later. And so it was the beginning of 2016. I, Because, you know, I did a video now and then. By the beginning of 2016, I realized... This is a thing. Um, these videos are actually making some revenue. Um, people clipping, clicking on Amazon links. So there was some money coming in through that. There was mm-hmm. a little bit of ad revenue. So it was pretty clear that it was like, you could see the trajectory uh, and you could see, okay, if I scale this, because like and right now I have a couple thousand followers if I or subscribers. If I scale it to like 10,000, then I'd make like $200 a month. And if I scale it to... 50,000 I'd make so much more and you could see the path and realize and that's when I realized if I really kind of threw myself at this I could grow the channel and that's that's kind of the origin story in a nutshell and then it's just been a just kind of like put my nose down make videos and and kind of go from there and slowly but surely it's grown into something where it was 2000 the, the fall of 2018 so a little over a year ago I stopped doing client work and I've just done YouTube full time. And wow. that's, that's how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, you've done, it's not just YouTube, like you've got a lot, bunch of stuff on Udemy as well, which is a training platform. Yeah. That was huge for, if, so from a business standpoint, this is also the nice thing about working in the startup world is that. I'm surrounded by people who are way better at marketing than I am. I'm allergic to marketing. Like my impulse is like, that sounds like a sales pitch. I don't want to hear it. But then you start to realize, okay, this is how you run a business. Is this what you have to do? Um, but I was, I was lucky to have people around me who were able to say, Brad, there's, there's opportunity here, or look at that, or do this, or 
you should teach people that. And a lot of it was just following the path that was like, um, I, I did a procreate video and then I, that video got more views than the other videos. So I did it, did a second procreate video and that video got more views than the other video. So I did a third one. And then in all those videos, people are asking questions like, how do I, how do I draw a circle? You know, cause procreate didn't have shapes at the time or right. how do I fill things in? Because it's not obvious that you drag that, that, that color swatch down to fill in a shape, you know, and, and people were just asking all these questions. And so I, it was kind of around that time where I thought I should do a procreate course. And that was really when I, when this went from being a side hobby thing to like a career ish thing, because that, when I started selling that on Udemy, that took off. Um, and that changed everything. Cause it's, it's hard to make a living on just YouTube and ad revenue. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would I don't think I could ever do that until you get to like closer to a million subscribers. But if you can actually have something that people want and and do it in a way they appreciate that that's sellable like the courses, that that is what kind of propelled me to to be able to kind of wean off the uh the freelance work. Also, as a side note, just kind of if anybody wants to go and become a YouTuber, um, how I did it, I was very fortunate that I was already freelancing because I could say, okay, I'm going to spend four days a week working for clients mm-hmm. and then one day a week working for myself. And then as that grew, I could say, okay, I'm going to spend three days a week working for clients and two days for myself and then two days for clients and three days for my, you know, and you could scale it back, which is something that if I had a full-time job, I don't think I could do that like that's just not an option but it would have been much harder and i think it would have burned me out a lot faster if i had to because because it's kind of like working two jobs at once to get to that point well and i don't think people realize you know for a 10 minute video or 15 minute video the time required to record and edit and polish it until you're happy right that's a lot of time sometimes it takes a full week to make 10 minutes yeah it's pretty crazy and would you and so for you, your hobby was tech, uh, as it applies to design and art. Yep. And so you took your hobby and you monetized it by making it your, your business at this point. Do you have any regrets in that? Do you have those days where you think, this is hard, <laughs> and now my hobby is part of it? Do, do you ever go through that? Not yet. Not okay. yet. That's I awesome. think because it's, uh, yeah, it hasn't hit me yet. I, I think because when i was freelancing you're trading hours of time for dollars and now it's it's a i i have no idea what i'm trading for dollars now but it's it's working (laughs) but uh yeah now it's just a completely different thing and it's uh i i yeah no i haven't had any regrets i guess that's the thing i like last week um i was able to just sit down and i thought oh i don't I don't feel like working so i started drawing in my on my ipad and i just drew something and i was like that turned out pretty good and i thought can i turn this into a tutorial and i was like you know i use masks on this and so then i thought i bet i could redraw it and instead of using alpha lock i could use masks and i could teach people how to use masks and procreate and next thing i know is my afternoon of goofing around on my beanbag chair over here turned into a tutorial that that i think was last week or the week before yeah and so that sort of thing kind of reinvigorates me. And also all the stuff I'm doing now still feels very new and fresh to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm really learning 
Um, and it's not just learning illustration. I'm really learning video production and I'm learning the business of this. I got to go to CES a couple weeks ago back in January. Uh, like, what a wild experience that was. I never thought I'd be able to go to CES. I've never been to Vegas. I've never seen a mountain. <laughs> you know, it, amazing experiences. So it, it's, it really had, and the other piece of this that I think really, really helps me personally is that um, because I'm not relying on YouTube ad revenue and about half my income comes from the online courses and things like that, mm-hmm. I'm not um, stuck in a cycle that a lot of YouTubers are stuck in where they have to keep their views up right? and have to get like, I know a lot of them, some of the few that I've met are are like, okay, I have to do three videos this week or four videos this week to keep the views up, to keep the, you know, to keep the sponsors happy and to keep the ad revenue flowing. And I'm very fortunate that I can say I'm only going to do one video a week or two videos a week. And that's a very maintainable pace. And realistically, if I need to, I can do a video in two days, um, which gives me the freedom to spend the the rest of the week either working on the next video, maybe a video that takes a little longer, or I can work on my courses. Like I just reworked my entire Procreate course. And I can kind of do that in a stress-free environment because I have the time to do that. Right. I think that's the main reason that I probably don't have any regrets is because this is the best my work life balance has ever been in my entire career. Um, and it's just, there just seems like every week or two, there's something new. Maybe someday I'll get sick of it, but right now I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's good that you've diversified. And I think a lot of creative people get uh, struggle with that, right? Is, is that you want to make sure you have multiple streams um, of income going in and, or, or coming in, I should say. And I think the other thing that, um, I, I wanted to ask you as well is, is when you're, and, and by the way, I, I watched that, uh, Procreate video on masks and it was excellent. Like I use Procreate a lot and I still learned a whack <laughs> watching you do that. Nice. So, um, I wanted to ask you, like, do you, is it always when you're sitting down and you're drawing in your iPad are you always thinking about how do I monetize this thing I'm doing? Or do you always think about, can I do a video about what I just did? Is that, does it change your lens and how you view your art at this point? I think it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause everything is, is kind of in that view of like, okay, how can I turn this into a video or, or something like that? Um, right now I'm working on um, background art. Um, some people turned me on to a new animated show and I love the backgrounds. It's the show is Gravity Falls. I, okay. I always forget to mention these things. And this is where the YouTube comments play in your head. Um, YouTube comments actually make you a much better YouTuber <laughs> because after you make a couple videos, you realize like if you don't tell people what show you're thinking of, you're going to get 5000 comments asking yes. you what show were you watching? <laughs> right. uh, it was Gravity Falls. It's a great cartoon. It's really funny. Um it's meant for kids, but I'm a kid at heart, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but the backgrounds were just beautifully painted backgrounds, and I so I spent the weekend trying to dissect that and figure out how those work, and and trying and failing, and and I got to the point where I was just gonna I straight up copied one of the backgrounds because I was like, I don't know, like this is not working for me when I'm studying it. I and so I like took the tree and I was like, how would I redraw this tree? I literally traced it and then repainted it and tried to replicate it. And then I was like, okay, I got it. And then I created my own composition. I have no idea how that's going to turn into a video, but in the back of my head, 
I was going through the steps of like, okay, what would this video be? It'd be like how to recreate a Gravity Falls background or how I would draw this or how I, and I think I reached the conclusion with that, even though I learned a lot over the weekend, I reached the conclusion that I am not at the point yet where I can do that video. You know, like my, I need to kind of evolve my skills a little more before I can pull that off. So a lot of that kind of stuff happens too. I have a huge file in Google Drive of all of these documents and every document is a video idea. And sometimes it's a video idea that's only two minutes long, so it won't work. Other times it's stuff like that where you start typing a script and you realize, you know, I'm not qualified to teach this yet. (laughs) You know, I've learned some things, but all I really did was trace this person's art. I really need to learn more about this before I can actually teach somebody this thing. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of that stuff as you do it is going, it's going through my mind. Like how, how could I turn this into a video or how could I, how could I use this in some capacity? So can I ask you like in the last, let's say year, cause that's probably freshest. Um, what video are you most proud of? Um, I think I, there's, so there's several last fall that I really, really love. Um, my review of the surface pro X is up there. Um, that one's really good because I think what I want to do, what I'm trying to figure out how to do is, uh, eventually if my channel's going to grow, um, I need to get into more general tech and that, but I don't want to lose the art focus, but I also want to start reviewing more Windows-based laptops and tablets, maybe go into like monitors, things that creative professionals are interested in, but maybe each one is just a little bit step away from like a drawing tablet, you know, um, just to kind of grow the channel and grow the audience and kind of branch out, but still keeping that kind of art angle, you know, to mm-hmm. everything. And that, and I also love analysis. Like, it's one thing to say, the Surface Pro X is a great example. It's not, a, I wouldn't recommend anyone buy it. It's just not ready for prime time because it has an ARM chip and it doesn't run a lot of the software you want. And the software it does run is slower than it runs on the Surface Pro 7. And so that video is like, okay, but I, I'm still excited about the product. So I had to figure out why. And so I have this whole stretch about two minutes into the video. It's like this minute long animated stretch where I analyze it. Why did Microsoft release a product that doesn't work with half the software on the market? Like, why can't you run the latest version of Photoshop on this thing? Mm -hmm. Because that's what most people are going to say is they're just going to look at the product and say, this product sucks, but they're not going to understand why would Microsoft make a product that quote unquote sucks. And so the whole video, there's a whole little explainer thing, animated explainer saying, you know, if, what Microsoft's doing is they're taking a risk by putting an ARM chip in their most popular, you know, laptop line so that they can hopefully get software makers on board so that they can make uh, products where the battery lasts way longer and they're lighter and they don't need as much ventilation. Like, what's the strategy here? And I think for me, that's what I love is that, like, can I make everybody has a Surface Pro X review, like every big tech reviewer. How can I make my videos really stand out? Mm-hmm. and be different than everything else out there. And I think that video encompasses it because one, it takes it from the angle of an artist. It does some analysis and also it's, it's paced really well. You know, it doesn't, 
like every 30 seconds, every 20 seconds, you change, you shift so you don't lose the audience or get stuck in one place. And you can kind of, I don't know, it just hits those beats just right. I really like how that video turned out. Yeah, I think that um, that's the thing with a lot of your videos. And even, you know, doing the artwork, doing the cover art for the videos. I mean, you went through that. And and I think that's what I like is the pacing is really good. I do think you're catering to creative professionals. So I do find that's that's great because you're not just covering, you know, the Surface and the the iPads. You're covering the other um, hardware out there as well. And so I wanted to ask you, have you, and I haven't watched all your videos, I don't think, (laughs) but I wanted to ask you, Have you ever done kind of a digital versus analog um, comparison? I haven't. Yeah, it, and I don't know if I would because the the one thing that you become very conscious of, mm-hmm. at least well, I become very conscious of on YouTube, is can I? I can learn things, but I. How do I say this? You don't want to talk about things you don't know about. I guess that's where it comes from, and I don't have. Like when I was a kid, I obviously drew in pencil and drew it with pens. Right. But I don't have experience with like, I've never used a Copic marker. You know, I've never drawn with gouache or painted with gouache or even acrylic. And I've painted with watercolor, but it was like, you know, it was just very basic. Right. And so I think part of it would be like, that would be a cool video. But I, my knowledge of traditional material is so, is so low and my knowledge of digital is so high that it's not really a fair comparison. Yeah. And that that happens a lot in videos where you hit that point where you're a little, maybe I'm more self-conscious than most, but I, I'm afraid to teach something until I've, I understand it enough to be confident to answer people's questions about it. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, that, that background painting that I'm doing, right now I'm at the point where I'm just dissecting it and trying to figure out how someone created it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know enough about it to actually teach it. And I think that's where something like that would come into play is that I just don't have enough knowledge about analog tools right now, analog tools, <laughs> traditional media, right? <laughs> <laughs> to, to really do that, do that justice. Now, I have been, uh, the agency that I work with has been asking me, who would you like to collaborate with? Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of video is the type of video where it's like, that would be a great one to find a collaborator for, like someone who really gets that 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 traditional media um aspect of it and then kind of work with them to kind of weave together a really tight video that could be yeah i think either like a versus you know Uh analog versus digital (laughs) or even yeah the idea that they they start the work and uh you know you were to scan it in and then do your your work on top of that right so that's um yeah i i think that it's I, i appreciate people like yourselves who who put out content when they feel they've brought it to a level that they're comfortable with it and they feel they can contribute back to it. And then they do contribute because I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of artists out there, creative professionals that are really good at what they do. And it would be, I think, wonderful for everyone for them to share more, whether it's on a podcast like this or on a YouTube channel uh, or Udemy or any of the other platforms in a way that allows other people to get excited about technology because you know, in this podcast, I'm trying to cover art, I'm trying to cover drawing. And digital is part of that. So a lot of people will have an iPad sitting in front of them right now, thinking, I should draw, and maybe I should just draw with my finger, right? <laughs> and and just start with that. And 
it may lead to something great. It may be that their 10-year-old is watching and thinking, huh, I didn't know I could do that. And, you know, in 15 years or whatever the case, they could be changing the world in some capacity or at least making it better for, for others. And so um, I, I do think that what you're doing is valuable, and I do appreciate the effort and the time that you put into all of this. And I'm kind of leading myself into the question about what's your device? I mean, you talked about working on an iPad and Procreate. Is that your preferred device this, these days is a matter of doing digital work? Yep. Yeah, that is my go-to. Um, and I, I made a video a while back about that because uh, part of being a reviewer is not just uh, saying, hey, this is good or bad, mm-hmm. but actually then explaining to someone, why is it good? Why is it bad? And that's really hard to answer because it's a, it's a gut thing. Like, why do I like you know and then trying to dissect why you like it and uh so i i made a video a while back about like what is my daily driver and the answer is the ipad pro and the apple pencil and uh i i think for me i don't use a lot of complicated brushes i don't use a lot of complicated tools and so what i need is i need a pencil and i need a pen and i need a way to color in my art like that's where i feel like i'm in my flow and the iPad, and especially Procreate, just does that so seamlessly. Like, you can pinch into an area, like, just whoop, and then finish a line off. You know, you can fill something in with the color. You can easily create a new layer. Like, everything that I need to do is just, like, fast, snappy, and the tool becomes an extension of what you're thinking. And that's that's the place I've gotten to with Procreate. Um, I'm kind of there in Photoshop when using a tablet, like if I get my shortcut set up, mm-hmm. I can kind of get into that same flow. Uh, it becomes really hard when I jump to something like Android. Um, I've been recording Android screens all week <laughs> for an upcoming video. And it's just like, oh, I got to draw in this. Why did I agree <laughs> to do this video? Because <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm doing a video. Uh, it's probably going to be called like Android's top 10 drawing apps or something like that. Okay, And so... Um, I came up with 10 drawing apps that can make the list and three or four of them are pretty good and are fun to draw in, but the other five or six are horrible. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, I got to finish this piece of art. And you know, you're drawing for 20 minutes in this and going, I left a mark with my palm and it's all the lines aren't straight. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But I love, I love the iPad. I I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just so light. Mm. You can take it with you. Windows tablets are great too, but I think that feels like a computer to me. And the iPad is just, the software is so seamless and uh, especially Procreate. And and even some of the other apps that are out there, I'm, I started playing, oh, I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's a pixel art app for the iPad. And I just started playing with it this week. And I was like, wow, this is like fun to make pixel art. I've never made pixel art before. Hmm. So that'll probably find its way into a video sometime in the near future. Uh, it's just something about the iPad, not just the Apple Pencil, but the iPad in particular that, that just, I think it's because people, there was no keyboard to fall back on. So people had to rethink these apps to work on a touch screen. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like on the surface, since you had the keyboard available to you, people would be like, oh, they'll just control C to copy and they'll figure it out, (laughs) you know? Whereas on the iPad, it's like, no, you have to come up with hand gestures to copy and paste. You have to come up with hand gestures to undo things. And now it's taken several years, but now we're at a point where it's really good. Right. 
Well, I think, you know, just on the point of even undoing, like I'll spend, you know, even two hours with Procreate and I'll go back to Graphite or Ink and I'll be tapping the paper with two fingers thinking, no, why can't I undo this? Um, and it happens every time. And I, uh, I end up laughing at myself and thinking, hmm, should I go back to the iPad for this project or should I just stick with my uh, Graphite or Ink or whatever the case because I do agree, like the, the iPad, like I had a couple of Wacom tablets in the day and then, you know, I, I ended up moving away from kind of the design component for years and just relying on a mouse. Uh, but when I came across the first, um, uh, when I came across the iPad Pro and was able to start working with that, it was like, this is, uh, this is incredible, like using the Apple Pencil. And maybe if you can just talk about, like I thought Procreate 5 was a huge move forward uh, when it came out. And there was so much, I remember when, when the beta went live, the servers went down and it was like, I need my <laughs> beta. Why can't I play? Um, but maybe like, what do you think about Procreate 5 I, in, in you know its release and the things that it's done? Yeah, it's funny because Procreate is, uh, and there's a lot of people who hate it. And I don't think, I think the people who hate it, there's a lot of people who love it too, probably more lovers than haters. But I think a lot of people who dislike it that I get comments from are people who don't have an iPad. Because if you think about it, like what Procreate is adding are features that already exist in like desktop applications. You know, for example, like, hey, let's add some animation stuff. Like people are like, Crit has had that for years. And so you, mm -hmm. I get a lot of comments like that. But I think what I really appreciate about how they're adding things in is how it doesn't get in the way of what they already have there. Like a lot of times, like I, I'll, I'll pick on Photoshop. Photoshop can do, after, after the, the Surface became a thing and Windows Touch things became popular, Photoshop said, oh, we'll add pinch to zoom. We'll add like little shortcut keys there. We'll add some of the stuff that you get on, on an iPad, but it's not the same because it's tacked onto the top of it. And it's just one more feature you have to remember and kind of navigate through. Whereas on the iPad, like Procreate is so simple that it's possible that you can use it for years without ever knowing that there's frame by frame animation in there, or that you can set a background and a foreground layer and that you can do all this stuff. And so uh, it's funny because from my standpoint, I have to, I have to kind of steady, <laughs> like I can't, I don't want to get too excited over it. Like, wow, Procreate added this cool <laughs> thing because I know that I'm just going to get all these people going, oh, you fanboy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but that, I think this is part of me coming from the background of being a designer. I was a UX designer. I was a user experience designer. So like a lot of the work I was doing wasn't just, hey, let's make this look pretty. Like my job oftentimes was going out to job sites, observing people in a call center and seeing how they behaved and then asking them questions and then compiling research and Excel documents. Like a lot of the design work I did, I'd say like half of it was, did not look anything like a creative pursuit. <laughs> it was very analytics driven. It was very, but like you have to understand how people are behaving when they're using a piece of software mm -hmm. in order to make that piece of software better. And I think part of the reason people get so excited about Procreate who have used it is because what it does is it gives you a huge blank sheet of paper and it gets out of your way. You can 
tap and hold to grab a color. You can change the size of your thing. You can choose between eraser, blender, paintbrush. But really, visually, that's all there is on the screen. And then everything else is kind of tucked away. So whenever they add anything, it's like the all the they added all these cool blend modes. Like I don't know if you played with that. Like you could do the swirl yes. effects and things like that. Yep. Like when they added those, it's like, wow, that's cool, but it never, ever, ever gets in the way of what Procreate has always done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard to explain that to someone who's never used it. And it's just one of those things that after you've used Procreate for a while, it becomes really hard to go back to anything else, especially like uh, using these Android apps. And one of my favorite ones doesn't have two tap undos. And I'm just, I can't, I can't manage. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> right. That should be, that should become, you know, the command C or the command V, the right? I totally agree. Yeah. I think Procreate even made a website where they said, please Apple steal this, where they literally said, yeah. we created this. People love it, please. And I think Apple came up with their own gesture for undo and it's like three finger swipe or something yeah, like that. That's right. And nobody has adopted it. But all these art applications have totally stolen the two-finger undo because it works. It's smart. It yeah. Yeah. I, I and there are, I mean, as you implied, there's a, there's two or three apps I've used that all do it. And there was one and I can't recall what it is, um, but I remember it not having it and being like, You're half the app that you could be. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> one gesture. That's right? all you need. I don't want to have to find the little, you know, arrow pointing back at its tail somewhere on your screen here. I want to be able to just, you know. Right. That and color picking, like that's the default now too, is to tap and hold to pick a color. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because uh, Photoshop, is today the 20th or is today? 19th. What's today's date? 19th. Yeah. Tomorrow is the, f- Photoshop was released on February 20th, 1990. So Photoshop turns 30 or, yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. 30 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday, Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the time of this recording. Um <laughs> And I was thinking about it because I first used Photoshop with version 2.5. And that was the the version three, which came after that, was the first version of Photoshop with layers. Like, so people were using Photoshop. There were no layers, you know. Like, I remember we would make compositions. And once you had, you had your text in one file and you'd highlight it, you'd copy it, and you'd paste it into the other file and you'd move it into place. And once you let go, it was stuck. It was all on one layer. It rasterized the whole file. And that's how you did design back in, like, in 1996, <laughs> 1997, whatever it was. And I remember when layers happened, it was like night and day. Like it was we back in college. I think that if this the, the statute of limitations has expired. So I can say this back in college, we didn't buy software. Right. <laughs> we borrowed it from each other. Right. Mm-hmm. We were broke college students. And you think about Photoshop and everything that Photoshop has done has been built up over 30 years, you know, and all of those little features came blending modes, the paintbrush tool itself, like being able to have different brushes, like the paintbrush tool at first was only like a couple little features in it, right? Mm -hmm. You could change the hardness or softness and all of these things built up over time. And now if an app doesn't have blending modes, like, why are you an app? What are you doing here? And Procreate's doing that for touch interfaces right now. Um, And I think that's what's so kind of cool about, like you said, wow, wasn't Procreate 5 great? And I think that's the aspect of it that's great and exciting for us right now is we're seeing an industry get built. And uh, we're we're closer to the beginning of like this whole 
digital art revolution with touch interfaces. We're much closer to the beginning than we are to the end. Mm -hmm. And, and with every update that we're seeing in that app, we're not just seeing procreate do really cool things. We're seeing a lot of stuff that other apps are going to be borrowing and taking from and adding to in the years to come. Right. And so much of the excitement is, is in that as well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, procreate just continue to do this right. And that's why I was so excited to get on the beta because I just wanted to play with things. I wanted to try the animation. I remember doing flash work and with onion skinning and and being able to play with all of that stuff. And I was thinking I, I need to, and I, to be honest, I haven't really done anything in Procreate. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, uh, uh-huh. I tried Fresco. And my comment on Fresco is it feels like when you use that versus Procreate, that the uh-huh. user group that fed, that sent the feedback, the one that used Fresco is not a group of people I want to talk to. Because I, f- I feel like that experience, I, while I think the watercolor effect was interesting, it didn't seem... Like the interface was discoverable in a, in a, at a point because there was that that little circle that ends up on the screen. It looks like a blob of water, and I was yeah, like, yeah. "That must do something." I wonder what it does, and I couldn't figure it out. And then I I I just I got frustrated. It's like it's it's not doing anything better than Procreate for me, and so I th- I still think there's opportunity to innovate on the iPad with regard to applications and and making them better. And Procreate did that, um, and I don't want to sound like a you know, we're Procreate fanboys here, but we have yeah. to call it for what it is. It, it's a fantastic application. And there are other apps that are like Linnea's, Linnea Sketches is, is fantastic. I like using uh, that as well. You know, and, and I will mention that for everything that we're talking about, I will put it in the show notes. So if you, anything that we've talked about, including Gravity Falls, <laughs> we'll, we'll have links to all of it uh, in the show notes. But I do think there's opportunities to innovate, but I feel like, you know, with Photoshop on the iPad and Fresco, I don't know. It it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like they're listening or that they're innovating in a way that that's making it better for us as professionals in doing this. Yeah. And I don't know what your feeling is on that. Do you think that? Do you think Adobe's lost its way? Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the other part of being a reviewer is trying to see both sides of it and right. understand what's what's good there. And and, and to say they lost their yeah. way doesn't mean that they can't find it. I'm not okay, suggesting that go. they're there out of the go, game. <laughs> I, 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 so I have mixed feelings. I feel like Fresco and Photoshop and Illustrator coming to the iPad could be the first step to Adobe finding its way. Um, because it, the thing I worry about with Adobe is that they, and they did this a couple years ago when the iPad came out, in 2015, they made a bunch of drawing apps and they made Adobe Draw and a Adobe Photoshop Sketch and Adobe Photoshop whatever. There were like seven Adobe Photoshop apps. <laughs> and each one did a specific things. One made brushes, another one did color palettes. It was it was weird. One was for sketching. But they did the sketching app and they added these cool features and they never finished the app. Uh like you can actually import Photoshop brushes in there. You can do cool drawings in the sketch app. But then when you actually get in there and you say, okay, I want to import this piece of art that I took, a, I, I sketched this out on a napkin. I want to take a photo of it and port it into the app and draw over it. You can't import into the app. Uh, you know, you can't open a file with the app. You can't, um, like, there's no selection tool. There's no move tool. Like, like, it's like the basic things you need in an app just aren't there. And if, if it was a first generation app, I'm willing to make an exception. Like, this is your first take on this and you're good. 
but that app's been out forever and it's kind of abandoned. And so that's kind of what I worry about with Fresco is that I I try to see the potential in it. Like, um, and I saw Adobe do this in the user design space. They there were some apps that came out. We used to use Photoshop to design everything, mm-hmm. uh, all our website layouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then some companies came out. Um, Sketch, Figma. There's a there's a handful of them that created these apps that were designed specifically for designing interfaces for websites and apps and software, and they just started eating Adobe's lunch. And so then Adobe came up with Adobe XD, and now it, it's taken like four or five years, but Adobe XD is now a really good product. And I just hope that what they do with Fresco and Photoshop for the iPad is what they did with Adobe XD, and they see Procreate as a real competitor and, and a reason for them to make really great apps and really focus on this stuff again. I hope that's what this is and not just another, hey, let's try this and see if people use it and then never update it. Right. Time will tell. I also feel my my other biggest criticism of Adobe is that they're kind of they're kind of a slow moving company and they only seem to do big updates when they can release press releases and say, Yay, us. And so they have their big event in the fall, mm-hmm. their Adobe Max event where they and it feels like a big PR event and they can get like a lot of publicity and the big sites write about them. But I think we live in a world now where last year Procreate released Procreate 5, obviously at the end of the year, but it was this time last year that they released 4.3, which was a huge update and had a ton of features in it. And so we saw two really big updates in their software last year. Um, And I feel like Affinity is doing the same thing. Affinity launched an entire publishing suite last year you know and we we keep seeing this from their competitors so i'm hoping that um even though fresco i like fresco a lot i can see where like if you compare it to procreate we're gonna i still keep using procreate um photoshop is gonna take a lot of work (laughs) to get up and running i think they released that a year too early honestly they were got a lot of good press for it but i it wasn't ready yet it's just doesn't really please anybody. So I'm hoping that what they're doing now is that first step to to getting on that road. Because uh, I don't see the industry, there's a lot of parts of the industry I don't see leaving Photoshop anytime soon and leaving uh, Premiere Pro. And so right. I think there's a place for Adobe to have, like, I think the biggest disappointment with Adobe is they're not making professional iPad apps. They're making iPad apps that are... the. Uh, I, I guess I see different tiers like procreate started as kind of a hobbyist app that has been turning into a professional app over time with right. iteration. And I think Adobe needs to be the company that's really churning out the professional apps. Adobe should be releasing what Affinity's releasing for the iPad. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just seems backwards for them not to. So hopefully this is the start of a very long chapter in, in their book. Right. And also hopefully I think Photoshop on the desktop's gotten really bloated. A lot of their software on the desktop's gotten really bloated. So I think this is an opportunity that for them to reboot their some of their software too mm-hmm. and turn Photoshop into something that when you do use it on a Windows tablet or you do use it on a Windows laptop, it's just as cool as using it on an iPad. Um, there, obviously, there's a lot of work that needs to go into it. <laughs> right. But I would love to see Adobe take that route where all their apps are touch-enabled. Yeah, I think that there's great opportunity. And, and, you know, I look at when I looked at Photoshop, 
on the iPad. I, I didn't play with it for long and realized it wasn't for me at this point. And I just wonder with all their code, like I wonder how much code is in there. And, oh, you yeah. know, being a developer that is 30 years old, right? Or th- that uh, in the way that they're looking at interfaces is just a bit dated. And I do, I, oh, Adobe's not going anywhere. And I think they're going to innovate and I think they're going to make a difference, make an impact in this space. But you're right to bring up Affinity because, uh, you know, I've been designing websites for years and applications for years and Photoshop was it for quite a period of time. And I have a, a corporate license through the place that I work full time. And uh, I still went out and bought Affinity Designer. <laughs> and I use that to develop uh, mobile apps because it is just a much better experience to be able to throw down a bunch of artboards, a bunch of uh, views of the application in a way that allows me to use the pencil, right? And I still, when Photoshop was coming out, I was thinking, I wonder if I'm going to leave Affinity Designer behind and it, it wasn't even close. And I think the other <laughs> point too is that with Procreate, they came out with 4.3 and 5 and it was free. And yeah. I I have a bit of a problem with that because I want them to stay in business, so I would like to give them money. I am right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm worried too. But yeah, I don't. I, they they apparently are doing well. They're the mm-hmm. big sponsor of um, the Lightbox Expo, right? Which is this new art show out west in the fall. I think it's September this year, and they're sponsoring the whole thing. So they obviously have enough money to hire employees and sponsor the event. So mm-hmm. things are going well. But I am so there with you, where I'm like. I gave them their app cost six dollars when I bought it. Like it's now like ten bucks, I think. Which still ten bucks, and I still tell people to this day that is the best six dollars I have ever spent. That is the best <laughs> cup of coffee I have ever bought. Right? <laughs> you know, that's insane. For yeah. uh, I've built a career on that that app. Um, like I said, half my income comes from online courses, and like seventy for five percent of those courses that sell are Procreate courses. So I literally, my career rests upon a $6 purchase I made four years ago. And I never have to pay them another dime. It seems unfair. It does. Um, yeah. If I ever meet them, of course, I'll I'll buy buy them beer, but I don't know if that'll be a conversation <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're fantastic. And they continue, like, if you follow them on Instagram, they're putting out uh, tutorials, IGTV. Like, it's there's yeah. so much that they're doing to, to as you say, like, th- that initial layer when you look down at Procreate is just there to draw. But it's under the covers that they start to explain, you know, the, the new painting engine, uh, the brush engine that they have, and the animation suite, and everything else that, that exists that you don't need to ever see if you don't need it. Yeah, um, but they do such a good job instructing people and, and and getting people to use their features and and their application. And I'm wondering, have you ever tried Procreate Pocket on an iPhone? Have you ever a little bit? Uh, it's been a while since I've touched it, but that it's feature for feature, it's almost identical. Mm-hmm. I think they they tend to lag behind. So Procreate Pocket came out, and it literally had everything that Procreate had. And then Procreate had their 4.3 update, and Pocket didn't get updated for a while. And then I think they updated Pocket just this fall or maybe into like late last year. Right. But, and I'm not sure if they brought it up to 4.3 or if they brought it all the way up to five, because it came out around the same time that five did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it came out before five. So it's probably just compatible with 4.3 stuff, but yeah, it's feature for feature. It's almost identical on the iPhone. It's just, it just lacks the pencil support, obviously. Yeah. I don't think uh, I've tried with my finger and I'm just not a good 
finger artist. <laughs> same here, same here. <laughs> so here's something that I find fascinating about the industry that that is kind of you I don't have any hard numbers as far as how various companies are doing or whatever, but I do have a comment section on my videos, and that is a phenomenal pulse of where the industry is, is just reading through all those comments. And so what obviously I review like a lot of um I review Wacom stuff, I review Huion and XP Pen, which are kind of like Cintiq like devices, but cheaper. Mm-hmm. Obviously, iPads and Surface devices. And when the iPad came out almost two years ago, um, the the entry level iPad that allowed you to use the pencil with it, the original right. pencil, mm-hmm. when that came out, the industry changed like almost immediately. And things went because before it was like, well, the iPad Pro uses the pencil and that's great. And there were a lot of people who said, cool. And there were a lot of people who said, I don't really want to buy an Apple product. I would rather draw on my computer. I'd rather get an inexpensive tablet. But once that $329 iPad came out and you could get an Apple pencil for it, like there's been this massive shift in the last two years in the comment section. You can see it whenever I review I reviewed the XP Pen 22, and that's probably a bad example. Uh, I reviewed the Wacom One, which is Wacom's latest 16-inch drawing tablet. Yes. And I bet if you went back and just scrolled through the comments, you would see dozens of comments of people saying, why would I get this when an iPad is cheaper and better? And I see that all, the t- like that is my most common comment on any review anymore. And it's been this huge, massive shift where I'll see comments of people saying, I hate Apple, but I got an iPad and I really like it. <laughs> and you, I, it's and it's been crazy to see. And to Apple, Apple's a huge company. They make money off the iPhone. I think the iPad and the Apple Pencil is just a hobby thing for them. Like that, the impact on their bottom line is probably like nothing. But the impact to our industry has been enormous, uh, and it can't be understated. So it might be that Procreate just c- continue to make a lot of money by selling their app to new people as they come onto the platform. I think eventually they do have to find another business model. What that is, I have no idea. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if Procreate ends up listening to this and and hears us talking about this, I think when you get... (laughs) I've said it before. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you get to Procreate 6 or at some point, like, let's not go to the Adobe model, um, where it's, you know, $25 a month or whatever the case, but an opportunity for us to be able to say, I want this additional thing that you're going to do, um, and I'll pay an extra X dollars, right? And even if we just like paid ten dollars more, like every time there's an update once a year, it's ten dollars more. Mm-hmm. That's not a big deal, you know. Um, and and I, yeah, how you do that in the app store is weird because you used to be able to do that with software models, or or you know the like you could say, okay, this is Photoshop CS six point five, and now you're going to upgrade to this, and we're going to sell you that upgrade mm-hmm. with the app store. How do you, it's, it's not really set up to sell that next version, you know, like they're kind of stuck in Apple's business model. Yeah. I mean, I think they could go to a subscription model, but you know, have it because there's a lot of apps I use now that are, you know, 10, 15, $20 a year. Right. And I'm, I'm quite willing to pay that because I know that I know the work of a developer and they can keep making things for free. I would happily pay that for Procreate, even if they had a version of Procreate that had two tiers where maybe you could only load 30 brushes 
and maybe you can only have 30 pieces of artwork and to expand it, to unlock it, to allow it to do more, then you pay that that fee. And so people can use it if they want, if they just want to play around and they pay that initial fee or whatever the case, but it's just... I just don't want them to go to business. And I, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I want them to be there. I want Affinity and I want Adobe uh, because I think it all it's all going to make the um, uh, the applications much better for us. Now, around that, what do you think's in the future with regard to hardware and software around this? Do, do you think that, because there's rumor that there's a new iPad maybe next month, and so this would be March 2020. Yeah, they're on, the iPad Pro is on a, a year and a half uh, update cycle. So I'm I'm pretty much expecting something in April, maybe an announcement and a March. That's that's kind of what I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to go to a two year cycle. Um, I don't expect it to be a big update. As far as like long term into the future, I have no idea. I um I think folding devices are really fascinating. They're not there yet, but uh, I saw at CES I got to see see the Lenovo laptop. That's a foldable laptop. And when you fold it up, when you're when you're just holding it, it's really nice. It's thin and it's it's light. But when you fold it, it's really thick. <laughs> but it, it folds into a nice like notebook type shape. Mm-hmm. Um, those are cool. There's problems right now with durability. Whenever the Motorola Razor just came out, which is that little clamshell yep. razor phone, and mm-hmm. those are already falling apart, and they've only been out for a week. So, but I at the same time, it's like I don't need that form factor you know so i don't think that form factor is going to really take off it's kind of a novelty thing right microsoft is doing kind of something similar with the surface duo that's coming out next year that's not a foldable screen but Mm. it looks for it looks like they're trying things to try things which is good i think that's what pushes things forward Mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't look like the killer killer piece of hardware yeah i feel almost like it's it's 3d tv right where it's it, yes. it's cool it's fun but i don't want to be drawing on a foldable tablet and push in the middle and it eats my pen right it just clamshells right. on it right that's so, a great point I, i'm not sure that that solves anything but um I, I don't know and even for myself like i've got a 2018 ipad pro i don't know what they're going to do in march or april as to whether i need to upgrade and i probably don't need to upgrade <laughs> yeah um, but is it you know a different just a different screen because there's this, you know, they've got the new LED technology. I don't think they would use OLED, but they have their new LED that's in the um, in the iPhone 11. So maybe they use something like that. It's obviously going to be faster, but speed is not an issue on the iPad yeah. Pro as it is. I, I think this is, I don't know, I, I have a hard time putting this into words for the reviews, but I've said it in many videos that dollar for dollar, that $329 iPad is the best value by a country mile for any drawing hardware out there. Like, cause if, if you draw on that, I have one sitting right here and I could, I could pull it out now and create the same exact thing that I can create on my iPad pro, which costs three times. Mm-hmm. Like if I, it doesn't have a screen protector on it, but if I threw a nice screen protector that I like to draw on, on it, I would, I can't tell the difference in my art. Like it's just as snappy. It's just as fast. And I can look at the specs and say, yeah, that iPad Pro is better. Like, I can tell that there's less gap in the glass on the screen. Mm-hmm. I can tell that there's a higher refresh rate on that. Like, when I'm looking at my pen drawing, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is faster. But if I don't look for those things, and when I get into the flow of drawing, I don't, there's not, user experience-wise, there's not much of a difference between that cheap one and that expensive one. And um, it's it's kind of hard. You, 
as a tech reviewer, I don't want to tell people, just hold off until your iPad breaks. <laughs> but really, anything Apple introduces is just going to be like icing on the cake. It's not anything anybody needs. It's just going to be kind of keeping it up or making it better because they can make it better. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, it feels like the industry has matured. It's changed a lot in the last five years from the, the stuff that was kind of stuck in place and too heavy to take with me to my job mm -hmm. to now I can carry an iPad mini and draw on it. It's super duper light. But I, and especially these, these Wacom competitors that are out there, uh, like about a year ago, they matched Wacom's quality pretty close. The pens aren't quite there, but close enough where most people aren't going to tell the difference. And now I'm wondering where does this technology go? The next iteration of those products are rolling out. And I'm like, these are identical to last year's. I mean, you could add, you could increase the resolution in the screen. You could do this, you could do that. But really, at their price level, they've maxed out. And it feels like a lot of drawing tech is kind of hitting that point where it'll incrementally improve. But it's really, we're at a mature point now where we've got really, really good tools. There's not, the big problem there was to solve was how do I draw, you know, for a while, the big problem was I'm drawing on this tablet and I, I have to look in front of me as I draw. And then the screen tablets came out and that solved that problem. And mm -hmm. then the problem became, okay, how do I make these more accurate? Because my pen tip is off centered from where the, the cursor is. They solved that problem. And then they solved the problem of, well, this is too big to take with me. And so now you have portable devices that can do that. And now there's not a problem. Like nobody's fixing you know, like the mm -hmm. things that are happening are incremental. Mm -hmm. They're not fixing problems that are really obvious to see. So it's really hard to tell where technology is going when you hit this level of maturation in the market. Right. I feel the same way with cell phones. Like my cell phone is great. I don't know. My camera takes better photos than I could ever have imagined. Like what else? Like I'm sure next year's camera is going to be better. Mm -hmm. But what, what do I need to do with it? Like I won't be able to use a better camera. I'm not a good enough photographer. Right. And that's kind of where we, f but at the same time, I'm a tech reviewer, so I'm really fascinated by where things go, but I don't see any solutions, right? Well, I don't, I don't see any big problems that need fixed right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would agree with that. I think it's, it's at a good state. If you're a creative professional in the digital space, uh, the tools are good and especially the iPad. So you had mentioned a while back about comments in YouTube. So I wanted to talk about kind of managing that and i think as creative <laughs> professionals and artists we're posting maybe not youtube videos but we're posting things on instagram or twitter or that kind of thing and i think as artists we tend to be supportive of one another i think you probably venture into a space that you know elicits more uh, questionable kind of responses and comments i just can you talk about managing that and and managing this this feeling that you did something really good, and most people say it's great, but then there's a few people that don't. And, and what's that experience been for you? Uh, pr pretty good. So overall, I'm I think I'm lucky that I I have a good audience that kind of gets what I'm doing. What what happens is when a review reaches outside of that audience, that's really when you get the nasty comments and. That's a double-edged sword because on one hand, you're getting these nasty comments. On the other hand, you could look at your metrics and go, the video is taking off. This is amazing. <laughs> so it kind of counteracts the <laughs> like, okay, now you're getting comments from people that don't know you and don't like you. Part of it, one of the things I learned is that um, 
even negative comments on YouTube can be really productive. Like even if people um, don't say, say really, really mean things, you can learn stuff from them. Like on a lot of my early videos, like I started off just talking into the camera and then I would show little clips of me drawing or using the product. And it was like 90% of my face and 10% like clipping things in. And there was a good reason for that. One, I didn't know how to take good video. I, you know, I was holding my cell phone while trying to draw and that's very uncomfortable. And, and the other part of that was I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable editing yet. I was still getting used to it. And I used to get comments like, we don't want to see your bleeping face anymore. We want to see the product, you know, and I got a lot of comments like that. Mm -hmm. And one way to take it is like, oh, they think I'm ugly. The other way to take it is I should probably put more of the products in my video, you know, and now I don't get that comment anymore because now it's like 90% product and 10% face. And, and so I think that, so, so for me, a lot of, a lot of times the negative stuff actually is, is really good. Uh, and I shouldn't say that. Sometimes <laughs> the negative stuff can be actually, there's good feedback kind of hidden in there. You just kind of dig it out. Some people are just mean to be mean. Um, I think what I've discovered is that the, the insults that hurt are the insults that hit on my personal insecurities, and most of the insults don't. I think when someone goes to insult someone else, mm -hmm. they this is fascinating. When you read through hundreds of insults a week, you start to really like get a grasp of the psychology of, <laughs> of an internet troll. Right. Is that, uh, for example, a lot of my humor is self-deprecating which is why I can get away with it in a tech review because I'm not making fun of a product or a company. I'm making fun of myself using the product or company. Mm -hmm. And, and, and some of it is cultural. Uh, like sometimes that self-deprecating humor just doesn't translate. Like there's some people who just don't get, why would you ever make fun of yourself? Like that's not a thing people do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes you, sometimes you get kind of that kind of stuff. And sometimes the people who insult you, like, I'm not a very manly man. I am not masculine. So a lot of the insults you get from guys are masculine insults, like, you know, questioning your manhood. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I'm secure enough that, like, that doesn't hurt me because I'm like, well, whatever, dude. Like, okay. But you know that if that's the, I guess what I'm trying to say is people throw insults at you. The insults they throw at you are the kind of insults that would hurt them. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they're pulling from their own psyche of what would damage me to throw it at you, but it doesn't work because you're a different person. Right. The stuff that hurts is the stuff that kind of hits at my personal insecurities. And 99% of the trolls aren't smart enough to figure out what my insecurities are. <laughs> like my insecurities really, as far as the YouTube stuff goes, comes from my drawing skill. And every time I say this, a bunch of people come out of the woodwork and say, Brad, you're such a great artist. We love you. And I appreciate that. I totally appreciate that. But my goal, and I kind of started this thing last year, is that I want to be a great artist. I don't want, I fell into this backwards. Like I said at the beginning, like my story was, I'm a designer. I like illustrating. And next thing I know is this is my job. And I'm one of, I'm, I'm a pretty high profile artist now, which is weird because I've done like, two professional illustration projects in my life. You know, I've been paid to draw things twice and it just doesn't seem fair. And if you look at the skill level, like I could not walk into an animation studio and get a job, right? I could not, I know what it takes to be a children's book animator 
and I don't yet have the skills to do that. You know what I mean? And I, as a professional, I, I call myself a professional artist, but as an artist, I know, I think because I've had some professional experience, like I personally can tell the difference between design that's good enough to get a job and design that's good enough to look good enough to work. And that's how I feel about illustration. And so uh, the stuff that kind of cuts me is when people say, I had a comment the other day, what when I, I did a video about um, where I was looking through some of my old graphic design books and just from the 90s. And I was like, this is what illustration looked like in the 90s. And I went, I went and bought like an old illustration annual from 1990, a communication arts manual or annual. And then I had one from 99 and I went through it and I said, look at how art evolved over the course of the decade. People started using computers. People started doing this stuff. And it was this like 12 minute long video about just looking through old art. And one of the comments was this guy makes the most like the, the most basic cartoons. And now he thinks he's an art critic. Like that's the kind of comment that cuts. Right. <laughs> because it's like I I personally don't feel like I'm good as good as I want to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so that, and that goes back to what we said at the very beginning of the podcast of that. I want to make sure that I'm, I know what I'm talking about before I talk about, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to like, people have asked me, Hey, can you do a course just on basic drawing? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not someday. Yes. But right now I don't feel like, um, and I, and I don't say it to take away from my artwork or anything I do. I'm very proud of the strides I've made the last couple of years doing this. And I think I'm going to get to a point. Uh, where I'm really proud of it. But right now I feel like I am a student and, and I'm learning along. And part of the way I, I think I deflect some of that incoming insults about my artwork is by being real with people. Like on this podcast, I can say to you, I'm learning. I'm just learning. Mm -hmm. I'm in my videos. I say, this is what I'm learning. I am learning with you. This is my art journey. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big part. I part of that the reason I do that is to deflect negative criticism, you know. But what I have found on the side is there's a positive angle to it, which is that really helps me connect with my community because most artists who are watching my videos are not working at Pixar. Most of them want to work at Pixar and they're just learning like I am. Mm -hmm. And so it's created this connection with people in the comments and in my Discord server and in some of these other areas and this connection with people that's much stronger than I think it would be if I was standing on a pedestal and saying, I am a amazing artist, you know, bow down before me. Right. Uh, and I didn't expect it. That wasn't the reason I did it. I did it to deflect criticism, <laughs> but it's had this amazing positive side effect that I didn't expect as well. I mean, I do, I admire your drawing skills. So uh, I think we all struggle with this, right? We always want to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm doing this podcast is I want to talk to people who are good at what they do. And that's why we're speaking. So I'm happy we've met at this intersection and <laughs> been able to share some of this. And so are there things that you are doing differently for 2020 that will help improve Brad? Yeah. So I started at the beginning of last year, I started, I, I made a video where I said, I'm going back to art school. And I did. I went and I started taking online courses and um, I, in my email newsletter, I, every other week I would do video update about that. So I was doing something called drawabox.com, phenomenal site. If you want to learn how to draw, I would totally recommend starting there. And I started from the basics, like how do you hold a pencil? How do you draw a line? It seems so basic, but it's so, so important. 
And like the first lessons are literally like draw a point on one side of the paper and draw a point on the other side of the paper and practice drawing that line over and over and over again. And then it builds on that and it says, okay, now we're going to draw a box. So draw four dots, now connect that line, connect the next line. And it's designed to get you to kind of repeat those motions over and over and kind of build those, that muscle memory. And then the boxes get more and more complicated as you go and they get, they get really tough. And then you're trying to visualize 3d you're, you're drawing 3d boxes and then you take a ruler and you see if you were right. <laughs> and, and one of the projects was draw 500 3D boxes. And so we were on vacation last spring and I was still doing my work. And I remember sitting at a picnic table in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia, <laughs> drawing boxes <laughs> in this beautific, like wonderful landscape cover surrounded by trees, worried about bears attacking me and, and drawing boxes in the woods. <laughs> So I'm continuing that journey, and that's mm-hmm. been a journey that I've been kind I, – I haven't updated people on it quite as much as I, I was when I started it. And then I've moved on to some other paid courses. I'm taking some Proco figure drawing classes right mm-hmm. now, which is not another online art, art thing, of which are, those are phenomenal. And I'm hoping to move in this year as I'm gaining those skills. I'm going to start taking some other courses that are more around things I enjoy. Uh, there's a there's an online course place called SVS Learn. SVS Learn, I think that's right. That's uh, uh, Jake Parker. Will Terry and Jake Parker. Yeah, that's right. And Lee something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those courses look cool, and they're a lot of them are centered around like um, children's book art, like kids mm-hmm. literature type stuff. And I like comic book art, but a lot of that stuff is right in my wheelhouse. Like I love that atmospheric kind of nostalgia right. type stuff. So that's where I am now is I spend a lot of time dissecting other people's work uh, and recreating it. And I, that's why I don't post much on Instagram is because a lot of the stuff I'm drawing right now is literally copied from other places. Um, and it's my way of learning, how did you do this? Like, how did you pick those mm-hmm. colors? Mm-hmm. How did you, like, I can understand something logically, but until you do it over and over again, you can't get better at it. So so yeah, I'm definitely working hard to improve it. My goal is to be at a point in a couple of years where I could draw a, a graphic novel. Like that's that's kind of my long term awesome. plan. Is or to be at a point where people say, "Oh, Brad's never worked in animation, but he could if he wants to." Like right. that's the goal is to be at kind of that level of artistic skill. You know, I didn't think we'd end up like get to this point but it's so great Uh to hear that through all the tech and through all the ipad (laughs) talk and and procreate and everything else that we're back to you want to be a better artist Artist. with paper and pencil and ink you know obviously you would do some of that on the ipad but there's an opportunity here to uh to get back to drawing which i still think is core for any artist and i've and i've been into my kids school in grade three and four teaching them how important drawing is because i kept saying you could be an artist but you may be a police officer and you have to document an accident scene or you want to be a scientist and you want to share your idea with somebody else so being able to draw is an important skill to have right and we tend to treat that as a child's activity Um, and i would hope that we foster this with our children and our friends in a way that they can take this on even if like i'm i'm 
going to be 53, uh, being able to take this on so late in life. So I'm so happy to hear (laughs) (laughs) that uh, you're taking this on. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe... I don't know, a few months, a year from now that we can chat again and we can find out, you know, where you're at with all that, because I think that's an exciting journey. And I'm sure that you'll be sharing it on YouTube and uh, and elsewhere, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if your fans will get disappointed, but maybe that's the stuff that doesn't appear on YouTube and maybe that's Instagram, right? Uh, right, right, right. And I, I'm totally seeing, and I, I've gotten a couple comments when I did my uh, Procreate Mask video the other week. Uh, I posted that image to Instagram, and several people, or maybe it was on YouTube, but s- several people commented in various places like, wow, your art's improved. So I was like, yeah, it shows. Because <laughs> for the last year, it was drawing a lot of stuff that that looked like, like when you do figure drawing, I didn't want to post figure drawings because they're not great figure drawings. But if you look at the figure drawings I started with, and then two weeks later, when I did it again, I was like, whoa, I made huge yeah. steps. And so a lot of that stuff isn't worth posting because people be like, oh, okay, that's not that good. But it's like, no, you should have seen what it looked like. <laughs> right. And uh, and so now that I've kind of taken some of those skills and I've turned them towards the cartoony stuff, well, all of a sudden that cartoony stuff has some depth that didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the exciting thing is you can is uh, that other people are starting... I've noticed personally how much better my art has gotten. But it's kind of cool to be in a position where other people are starting to like be like, yep. oh, okay, this, is, this isn't this is bad. So, well, it, it, slowly when but I, surely. When I look at your stuff, I think you've been sandbagging for a bit. Because <laughs> you can see the difference um, oh, cool. in, in what you've done. So absolutely, we see it. And it's it is there is a big difference. And I think that, you know, when I, I share a lot of my work... On Instagram, and there's stuff that I post that I wouldn't normally post, but I feel that, like I was in the museum for an hour and a half this weekend. I was going to stay longer, but I didn't. But I was in there and I was drawing, you know, dinosaur skeletons and things like that, and oh. they're not great, right? It was just a quick sketch, but I figured I'm going to share them anyways because I want people to know it's okay to do that. And I think some of my work, I, I know some of my work is better than that, but you know what? It's it's okay. I, I think knowing that you can just go in and because I think we see the the finished veneer of, of work, right, from a lot of artists. And people look at it and go, there's no way I could do that. But if you just saw the points between the beginning and the end, you may th- feel that if I just adjust this one point or these two points along that process, I can be better, right? And that's, yes. and, and, and with Proco and, and around the courses that he does, uh, or that they do around anatomy, you know, just understanding muscles and, and bone and skeletons and, and how they interact and how they move is all very helpful, right? And so I, di- I didn't do any uh, anat- anatomical kind of drawings until, I don't know, three weeks ago or four weeks ago. And then I did uh, two on the iPad. And it was like, I'm going to post these. They're not great, but I'm going to try it. And then I'm thinking, uh, now I want to do more. Um, so I think this exploration, right, that we're all doing together is, uh, is a good thing. So I, once again, I'm looking forward to what you're going to do. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I hope I get, I hope I get better. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I think it'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting, especially if you continue with the animation as to how that starts to change, right? Where you feel that I need to leverage or you need to leverage what you've learned and how that translates into the animation and the characters that you've been doing and whether that become something else that should be cool. it is a fu- it is a funny place to find myself because i'm accidentally an art youtuber 
You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some people, there's some people I follow on YouTube that I'm like, wow, there's a new up and comer right now. Her name is Laura Price and she worked in the yes. animation industry and she, she, you, so you've seen her stuff, yes. her backgrounds. Well, she was a background artist on the Tangled show at That's Disney right. thing. And her backgrounds are so good. She <laughs> did like one that was inspired by like the Spider-Man movie a couple weeks ago. And I was just, I watched that speed draw and I was in awe. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, you start to piece it together. And when you see the finished piece that she does, it's like, I can't draw that. But when you start watching her and you see what she starts doing, you're like, oh, I could do that. And then you see her next step and you're like, oh, I could do that. Right. And then, you, you know, and you start to and you start to see those dots connect. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I think that's my favorite part of art is because you just don't think you could do something. But then you start to connect the dots and it's like, oh, and that's like that. Actually, the same thing happened to me writing code. Is like when you write code all day, and I never was a hardcore coder, but I, you know, I just wrote HTML and CSS and stuff. And you try to write something, or you grab some JavaScript from somewhere, and it doesn't work, yep. and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden, you you learn something, you apply it, and it works. It's like eight hours of frustration is followed by just this pure euphoria that you've learned. And I get the same feeling from art, like mm-hmm. um, like I was redrawing those backgrounds the other day and it was the same thing it was like i i was trying to use one as just kind of a reference and try to kind of do my own thing trying to understand that reference and it just didn't work and then i sat down and i traced it and then i redrew it and tried to figure out how they painted that and then it and then there was a point where it just snapped and it worked and i was like oh and it was and now i'm like now i'm going back to my original drawing and i'm using that as reference still but now it's falling into place because i'm understanding those levels and those dots are connecting that it's it that's the thrilling part of art yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely i think uh and and what's cool about procreate too um i had a previous guest on and he's a, a storyboard artist and so he's worked in movies and that kind of stuff and and he's uh he uses procreate all the time and the fact that people share the videos the time lapse videos is yeah. a great feature in Procreate, especially when you're trying to learn and you look at the final product and you think there's no way and then you watch the time lapse and yeah, it's quick. <laughs> but understanding their process, you know, whether they start with a line drawing or they just throwing down chunks of color or pixeled, <laughs> colored pixels, I yeah. guess, um, is such a great learning experience. I so, I'm so glad that that's part of Procreate because, uh, and especially when people share it. I saw one the other day that made me feel really good. It was an amazing drawing. I don't, I follow too many artists on Instagram. I should remember who I got inspiration from, but I was watching one of those speed paints they posted from procreate. And it was like the first, like it was a 30 second long thing. And the first 25 seconds were just like mistakes. <laughs> like, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> boop, 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 finished done. And it was like, wow. So, cause I do that too. It's like, I, I work it, I work it, I work it. And I was like, this isn't working. This isn't working. This work. And then it, then something just, is in the right place and you're like oh okay that's working now i don't know why <laughs> it's just part of the process yeah. and it was really cool to see like an elite illustrator do the same thing and be like oh i'm not alone here this is something everybody's going through that's cool yeah we can't measure like a beautiful piece uh, and 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 then translate that into a beautiful process because the process yeah. isn't beautiful right <laughs> right uh, whether it's it's paint or or pencil or charcoal or digital it's not a pretty process yeah. making a video is the same way um right as you start off with this brilliant idea 
and then you start working on it and and i start with the script and then the script isn't as funny as it was in my head and then you record it and then you cut out more jokes because you just can't deliver the jokes right and then it gets and and it's like you start off on this high and then you have all of these pieces parts and every piece part is not as good as what you originally envisioned mm-hmm. and you kind of bottom out and then you start to sew it all together and then at the end you're like oh this is this isn't so bad like this isn't <laughs> what i originally envisioned but it turned out better than i thought it would it's funny how almost every creative process boils down to that like right. that sense of inspiration is exciting and the finished product is hopefully exciting right <laughs> but that valley you have to go through to get there is not exciting it, it's work and, and you do uh, when you get to the end you always feel better right like you're a better person like a better creative that you can take on something different or challenge yourself and so i wanted to i always talk about homework and uh-huh. i don't know if you have suggestions for homework something people can try i do well so first of all if you're just learning art Definitely go to drawabox.com, which is what I mentioned earlier, and mm-hmm. I, I learned a ton there, and the lessons are fantastic, and it, it kind of holds your hand through it. But my homework for you is this, and I, I, I swear by this because I've grown more doing this than anything else, is I think as artists, we're afraid, we're scared to death of copying other people. Um, we're scared to death of like plagiarizing other people, which is understandable. But I think it's okay to copy other artists' work when you're learning. It's not okay to post it and say you drew it. Right. <laughs> but right. it's such an amazing way to learn. And I I just recently found out, well, about a year ago, that there's actually a thing there. It's they're they're called master studies. And you're probably familiar with this idea where people would when old school painters um, like back during the Renaissance were learning to paint, mm-hmm. they would go and look at the master's paintings and just recreate that painting right kind of bob ross style Mm -hmm. you know like and they would go in and they try to basically forge like these famous paintings and and they were doing it to learn and and the concept there is that as artists we feel like we need to create we have the ability to create something amazing and Mm -hmm. something unique and so we feel like we should be creating something unique every time we sit down to draw and i think that pressure oftentimes holds me back quite a bit and so lately i've been doing a lot of these i call them master studies where like i mentioned those backgrounds i will i will straight up trace a background to understand how it was drawn i will straight up try to recreate a, p- a cartoon character or something to figure out i'll you know i'll lay out a character and i will uh, i will fade the background to like 10 percent so i could see it and i'll sketch on another layer over that so I my homework for people would be is to don't be afraid to copy, but also take stuff you like that looks too complicated, like I can't do that, and take a small part of it and just dissect it. And so if you are digital, you can copy an image, paste it into Procreator, your favorite drawing tool, change the transparency, create a new layer, and just say, what shapes make up this character's head? Okay, it's a circle, but it's got kind of this edge here. How are the eyes laid out? If you don't have digital tools, you can always print something out and then, you know, trace it that way or take a book, put a piece of paper over it. Um, I think tracing is probably the wrong word, but like trying to replicate other art that you like Mm -hmm. is is a totally underappreciated skill in our industry and has been hugely helpful for me growing as I go. Um, There's there's a lot of 
you'll see a lot of stuff online. People don't like being copied, but I think uh, copying people in order to learn is okay. Copying people to post it as your own is not. Right. And copying people and selling it is really, really bad. Right. But to learn uh, and just kind of file away in a notebook like, yeah, yeah, I learned something, I think it's totally okay. And it's probably has been for me the fastest way that I've grown over the last year. That's uh, that's good advice. I think uh, we'll post, I'll post a link to that site. And um, I think that would be a good exercise for people. I do agree with you. I think that in the, that learning process, uh, there's one artist I follow on YouTube and he goes to museums and he's a fantastic artist. He's trained in Italy and he goes to museums and he will draw a version of the masterpiece and then go and take notes and then go home and fix it. And you know what was interesting is my daughter plays piano and we were at the recital a few weeks ago and the teacher was saying that back, you know, with Mozart and Beethoven and with their students, one of the things they would first do is teach the students the students would have to take all the work that they've done, that these composers have created, and transcribe them for themselves. So they would make their own copies of the work so they can use that to uh, to learn how to play piano. And uh, I was like, wait a second, artists, you know, visual artists do the same or did the same thing at the same time. So I think that was probably common practice, but it is a really good way to learn. Yep. And uh, so that thank you. That's a really good idea. Yeah, cool. So thank you again for coming on. I learned so much <laughs> good it's been a pleasure i it was it's been fun yeah i think uh we'll include uh i'll include links to uh your youtube channel udemy i guess to your um the people can find you there yeah brad.site is my website nice okay. clean easy nice. to remember <laughs> website so that's a good place because that's going to link to youtube okay uh, that's going to link to the udemy courses and i got i have a lot of stuff on there like if they're looking for hardware I've ranked some of my favorite stuff, so it's easy to kind of link out to specific reviews and things like that, too. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Brad. This has been uh, fantastic. Thank you for making the time, and uh, we'll celebrate Happy Photoshop Day on February 20. <laughs> All right. <Woo. laughs> exactly. I hope I got that date right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll change it in the edit if it's wrong. There we go. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Show notes, including links to everything Brad and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 21. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Henley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you've created recently. You can also reach me by sending an email to mike at mikehenley.com. I read and respond to every message that I receive. Until next time. Be kind to one another and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.